So with that, we're going to pray. <laughs> Woo! Oh, Lord, we love you so much. You are so good. You are so good. You are so good. You are so good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We've already had so much good stuff tonight, worship and stories and uh, just knowing, <laughs> knowing the tenderness of your heart. And, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to uh, have your way in our hearts. We invite you to um, bring clarity, to bring um, the, the reality, heaven's reality to us in ways we have not seen before. That's what we're asking. I still believe, I believe, Father, that uh, with as much of your goodness as you've shown us that we have barely seen how, just how good you are. Oh, man, there's so much coming, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We <laughs> We... We just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your choice. Thank you that we are your choice. Thank you that it was the, uh, for the joy set before you that you endured the cross. Thank you that we were part of that joy that you saw reunited with the Father the way it was always meant to be. Thank you, Jesus. We're so grateful. So grateful, so grateful. Thank you. Well, t- I believe tonight's going to be a really um, tender and uh, deep time with the Lord. I want to start by uh, showing a video uh, by the, the Bible Project. It's actually a different one, though, than I've showed you before about the book of Acts. We're, we're about halfway through the book of Acts, but now we've also started jumping around a little bit. And uh, we're going to continue uh, to to jump around and um, and and talk about different themes in the Book of Acts, but I, I wanted to um, show you this because it's amazingly done. Um, these are all on YouTube, by the way, so you can watch these on your own later. But it's going to give you in in a very just in a few minutes. It's going to give you an incredible overview of the first half of the Book of Acts, and then I'm also going to show just a couple sec maybe two another two minutes of of uh, the second part because that's to catch us up to where we are I felt like this was a really good way of doing that um, and then I have something I want to share with you that I think is going to be at least for me it's been a really big breakthrough and uh, I, I think it's going to be a real key for many of you in this room so that's where we're going tonight so here we go the book of Acts It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. 
Volume one was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume two will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria full of non-Jewish people, and then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. This video is just going to focus on the first half of the book. So the Jerusalem focus section begins with Jesus' followers waiting until the Feast of Pentecost when all of these Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world were in the city. And the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples as a great wind and something like flames appear over each person's head and together they start announcing and telling stories of God's mighty deeds. And they're speaking in all of these languages that they didn't know before but all the people gathered there understand perfectly. Now, in order to see what Luke's emphasizing in this story, it's crucial to see the Old Testament roots of all of these images. So first, the wind and the fire is a direct allusion to the stories about God's glorious fiery presence filling the tabernacle and the temple. And it's also connected to the prophetic promises that God would come and live by his spirit in the new temple of the messianic kingdom. And so here in Acts, God's fiery presence comes to dwell not in a building, but in his people. Luke is saying that the new temple promised by the prophets is Jesus' new covenant family, the people of Jesus, which connects to the second thing Luke is trying to say here. So the prophets promised that when God came to dwell in his new temple, he would reunify all the tribes of Israel under the messianic king and that the good news of God's reign would go out and be announced to the nations. 
Luke describes in detail the international multi-tribe makeup of all of the Israelites who were there at Pentecost and who responded to Peter's message. And so the apostles keep calling Israelites to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah, and thousands upon thousands respond, forming new communities of generosity and worship and celebration. But not everybody's celebrating. From here, Luke shows how Jesus' new family quickly faced hostility from the Jerusalem leaders. With a really beautiful symmetrical design, Luke tells a tale of two temples. So God's new temple, the community of Jesus' followers, they're gathering every day in the temple courts and from house to house. Now, in between those notices are two stories about Peter and the other apostles healing people in the temple courts, only to get arrested by the temple leaders, followed each time by a speech of Peter claiming that Jesus is the true king of Israel. And at the center of all this is a story about Jesus' followers donating property and possessions to a common fund to help the poor which is really cool, but it seems kind of random for Luke to mention it here, until you realize that this was a practice described in the laws of the Torah and was supposed to be happening through the Jerusalem temple and its leaders. So Luke's point here is clear. The new temple of Jesus' community is fulfilling the purpose that God always intended for the Jerusalem temple, to be a place where heaven and earth meet, where people encounter God's generosity and healing presence. And this conflict between the two temples, it culminates in Acts chapter 6 and 7. It's the first wave of persecution. So Jesus' followers, they continue to multiply, requiring more leaders. And one of these, Stephen, he's a bold witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. And he ends up getting arrested, and he's accused of speaking against and even threatening the temple. And so Stephen here gives a long speech showing how Israel's leaders have always rejected the messengers God sent them, including Jesus and now his disciples. So the Jerusalem leaders are enraged. They murder Stephen and they launch a wave of persecution against Jesus' followers that drives most of them from the city. But it has a paradoxical effect. Luke shows how this tragedy actually became the means by which Jesus' people are now sent out into Judea and Samaria. Now in this section, Luke has collected a diverse group of stories that all show how the mostly Jewish, Jerusalem-based community of Jesus became a multi-ethnic international movement. So first is the mission of Philip into Samaria. It's the land of Israel's hated enemies, and many of them come to follow Jesus. Next, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul. He was the sworn enemy and persecutor of Jesus' followers until he personally met the risen Jesus, and he then became a passionate advocate on behalf of Jesus. Next is the story of Peter having a vision about how God doesn't consider non-Jewish people ritually impure or unworthy of joining Jesus' family. And so Peter, he's led by the Spirit into the house of a Roman soldier, just full of non-Jewish people, and they all respond to the good news about Jesus. In fact, the Spirit shows up powerfully upon them, just as he did to the Jewish disciples back in chapter 2. These themes all come together in the founding of the church in Antioch, the largest, most cosmopolitan city in that part of the Roman Empire. And Luke, he tells us that Barnabas, a Jewish leader from the Jerusalem church, went along with Paul to help lead this church community. And so it became the first large multi-ethnic church in history. It was where Jesus' followers were called Christians for the first time. And it's from here that the first international missionaries were sent out. 
And so we see Jesus' commission coming true, and this takes us into the rest of Luke's story. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Acts. So we left the story with Barnabas and Paul serving in the Antioch church, and the Spirit prompts the church to send them on a missionary journey, which opens up a whole new section of the book. The story is about Paul and his co-workers traveling to different cities around the Roman Empire, announcing the good news that Jesus is king. The first mission is into the interior of what's called Asia Minor, found in modern Turkey, and it ends with an important meeting of the apostles back in Jerusalem. The second mission is through Asia Minor and then into ancient Greece. And then the third mission is through that same territory again, and it concludes with Paul's journey all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, in recounting all these stories, Luke has highlighted a number of important themes by repeating them. So first is the continued mission to Israel. Whenever Paul enters a new city, he always goes first to the Jewish synagogue to share about the risen King Jesus and how he's forming a new multi-ethnic family of God. Now, most often, lots of people come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but some oppose Paul. Sometimes they even throw him out of town as a dangerous rebel who opposes the Torah and Jewish tradition. And this tension culminates after the first journey, leading to an important council in Jerusalem. So Paul discovers that there are some Jewish Christians in Antioch, and they're claiming that unless non-Jewish people become Jewish by practicing circumcision, the Sabbath, obeying the kosher food laws, that they can't become part of Jesus's family. But Paul and Barnabas, they radically disagree. And so they take the debate to a leadership council in Jerusalem. Now there, Peter, Paul, and James, the brother of Jesus, they all show from the scriptures and from their experience that God's plan was always to include the nations within his covenant people. So they write a letter requiring non-Jewish Christians to stop participating in pagan temple sacrifices, but they don't require them to adopt an ethnically Jewish identity or obey the laws in the Torah. Now, this decision was groundbreaking for the history of the Jesus movement. Jesus, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he's also the risen king of all nations. And so one's membership among his people is not based on ethnic identity or following the laws of the Torah. It's based simply on trusting Jesus and then following his teachings. And it's this multi-ethnic... All right. I know. Go... Find it on YouTube. You can watch the rest of it. Um, so that was a lot of information. I know that. Um, like I've watched it several times, and each time I'm like enjoying it. it. There's so much information in it. But in a quick way, it just gives a really big overview, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what we've been talking about for these last um, eight months or something. And, um, But... The reason why we don't just show you a video or have you or say, just go watch the video, but why have we been slowly going through it here is because as we've been taking little chunks and pieces of it, we haven't just been um, disseminating information. We've actually been experiencing things together. And that's what we like to do here as much as possible. Like, how do we, how do we encounter God in all of this? You know, because information alone doesn't change us. Information is good. I'm not saying it's wrong to have good information. I'm just saying that that's not the game changer. The game changer is the Holy Spirit himself. It's Jesus himself. And, uh, and so uh, this is my uh, attempt here at um, just giving you some of the, what I think are the key uh, 
the key foci, the things we've been looking at over this last eight months, that the supernatural is a normal part of God's kingdom. This is one of the reasons why we were going into the book of Acts. We felt like God said, I'm about to pour out my spirit in ways that go beyond what you've seen. And so we're reminding all of us together, this is real. The supernatural is real. Um, the Holy Spirit is not an add-on. Can we all say amen to that? <laughs> not an add-on. Uh, not an optional, you know, option on this model. You can have the extra chrome wheels if you want, you know? It's like, no, that's not who Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit is, is foundational, critical, crucial, and is such a key, and we're going to get back to that for sure. Uh, we have the exceptionally good news of Jesus that everybody is searching for. This is, this is what we just saw in the book of Acts, is that wherever they went, of course they had opposition. Of course there are places where they didn't, people who didn't want to hear about it. But everywhere they went, there was people who were hungry, hungry, hungry for Jesus. And when they started telling them the truth of the good news of Jesus, their hearts were ready. They're like, man, how do I sign up, you know? And they said, great news, all you have to do is believe. Really? Really? So we have that too. And Jesus in us will set the captives free in every nation and every sector of society. Nobody is outside of his love. Again, I'm just giving you some wide themes of things I feel like we've been saying a lot in this last eight months or so. And, and um, so it's Christ in us um, that, that gives, gives us the very winsomeness that draws people. That's why I said earlier about Karina just being herself. Each one of you just being yourself is enough when it's the real self, when it's the one that Jesus created. That's enough. That draws people. And then, and then again, not to be ashamed of the gospel, not, you know, when people are, are hungry and searching. So this man I talked about at the gas station a while ago, when I shared that story, I absolutely talked about Jesus and, and um, the love of the Father with him. So let's see. Here's another one is... Uh, we are never to go back to rule-keeping as a replacement for intimacy with our Father, with Jesus, and with Holy Spirit. That's kind of where we just left it. When I, when I just showed that, that quick overview, I, I, I went into the second half because the next story, which I'm not actually going to share tonight, is about the Council of Jerusalem. Um, I want to actually go someplace different tonight, but I wanted to bridge it f- from Acts into where I'm going. And, and, and if you didn't pick it up, because there was a lot of information there, but, but Paul in his journeys, whenever he would go out away from Jerusalem, Jerusalem is where still there was a high concentration of, of Jewish believers, Jewish people, Jewish people in general, but, he, but Jewish Jews who actually believed in Jesus. And, and when he would go off into these other places, you know, who have a lot of Greek culture and really you know, some, some really bad things going on in some of these cultures, um, temple prostitution, child sacrifices, all kinds of things. Then he would come with the truth and start setting people free. They were so excited. But whenever he would come back to, he would share his excitement in some other places that weren't, that wasn't Jerusalem. They would all be excited. Oh my gosh, everybody's receiving Jesus. Everybody's getting filled with the spirit. This is awesome. This is revival. This is cool. And he'd get back to Jerusalem, and then there'd be some there who would be not very happy. Because they were, because, and this is what we can't understand. I mean, it's really impossible for us to understand if your whole life were built around keeping rules. And you were told that was the thing to do. And all of a sudden, 
you know, maybe you're 40, maybe you're 50, whatever. And all of a sudden we're saying, nope, that's all changed. That's all gone. You don't have to do that anymore. That's really hard to just switch off. You know, that's why Paul, who was the rule keeper of rule keepers, you know, he, he, would, he boasted about that. Man, if you talk about rule keepers, I was the best. He needed this encounter of Jesus to just really, you know, blind him from, uh, from what he was into now who he is. Jesus had to show him, this is who I am. Stop persecuting me. Everything's changed, Paul. So then he becomes the one that shares this. But when he came back to Jerusalem, they didn't like it. And they said, nope, nope, nope. All these Christians out there in these other countries, they need to also follow the rules. And, um, and uh, that's where we had this council in Jerusalem where they tried to decide, what do we do? Um, and uh, they decided just to give them a few rules, uh, which were to, to uh, basically abstain from their, from their cultic practices. That's kind of what it was, really. So there, there you go. That catches us up to where we are. And I'm, I want to show you something from um, Galatians 5. That's where I want to go. And, and, um, and then we're going to pray this in. So tonight, my message is the Holy Spirit, our victory. Um, this is actually taken, this is Big Sur. Um, so this is, this is in California. Isn't that gorgeous? So, uh, but I chose this, and you'll see this theme, because I feel like a lot of times in our life, there, there does seem like there's this barrier, this block, something's in front of us. And yet, and yet we don't know that the key is right there. You know, the key is right there. And this is a real formation where this, uh, where that, that's a real picture. That's not you know, a painting. Uh, that's actually sun coming right through this. Here's one more just to show you. Isn't that amazing? Um, so, but I want to talk about Holy Spirit, our victory. And I want to talk about Galatians 5. And the reason why is because as I was reading this just a week ago, and I was reading it this time, I read a lot of different translations but this was in the Passion Translation, and so I'm going to use that tonight. Um, so first we're going to we're going to start at the beginning of Galatians, uh, chapters 1 to 3. Uh, sorry, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. And Paul, this is Paul. Now you have to understand, because I just told you the story of Paul. It's important that you understand who's, who is saying this. Paul is to the people of Galatia, which is one of the places in his missionary journeys. Um, one of the one of the people that he cares dearly about and helped start a, start the church there, he says to them, "Let me be clear: the Anointed One has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past." Now, when we think of the bondage of our past, normally we're thinking of about the big mistakes we've made. And, you know, how that's put change on us and we, we, um, the guilt and whatever. That's actually not what Paul's talking about. He's actually saying the bondage of the rule keeping, which you'll see is very clear in a minute. In, in a minute. But he's saying, man, we are free. We cannot go back to that old rule keeping system. That's, that's not what Jesus died for us for. So he says, this is verse 2, I, Paul, tell you, if you think there's benefit in circumcision and Jewish regulations, then you're acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not enough. Now, before we, before we, as we, as you keep going, you'll see this, this theme's going to continue on. You're like, how does this relate to us? Because we weren't, we didn't grow up Jewish. Most of you probably did not. And, but I'm saying what, that 
we have to understand that that the uh, that rule keeping way keeps coming back into our lives all the time, and we don't even know it, but it's happening. If we're not careful and we don't go back to what Jesus has done, we're going to go back into a system of trying to be good. Um, what, what things are worse than other things? It's amazing the conversations we have about how we classify sin. I'm telling you that's the old rule-keeping system, and we don't even know we're doing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you all this, and I'm, I'm going to show you more in a minute, but I'm just trying to stop to tell you, how does this relate to you? Oh, it relates to you every day of your life. Every time you want to, um, you know, uh, okay, you, you, you did something that's not your original God self. You did something that, that is, um, that, that's, that's, that's not the real you, and you're, you're feeling guilty and shame. Um, you've actually just entered into the rule-keeping system when you feel shame. When shame is the response, you've just been sucked right into the enemy's game. So I'm telling you, I'm trying to tell you right now why this so applies to you. Okay, let me keep going. We're gonna, we're, this is going to get really good. I say it again emphatically. Like, <laughs> he's going and going and going. Actually, he's already said it many times in the previous chapters. If you let yourselves be circumcised, he's like, if you're going to go back to the rule-keeping ways and doing everything the Jews did to be right with God, including circumcision, you are obliged to fully fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. He's like, if you're going to go back there, there's not just three laws. There's not just 12 commandments. There are hundreds of laws that you, bet, that you have to keep. Because if you're not going to trust Jesus and you're going back to your ways... To, to you being good enough, oh, let me tell you, you got some work to do. This is what he's telling them. You got some work to do. And remember in, I think it's Revelation 19, pretty sure, where it talks about um, the book of life. And those whose names were not written in the book of life were judged according to their deeds, their works. In other words, those are your two options, but you can't have it both ways. Either your name's written in the book of life because you believed, and yes, it is that simple to say, Jesus, you are the Christ. You did die for me. I do believe that, and I choose your life in me. You're a brand new creation now, right? The old is gone. The only, the only way that you're judged on your works is if you will not choose Jesus. But if you choose Jesus, it's not about works anymore. Yeah, I could go on and on about that. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. There's so much I wanted to say, but I'm just going to keep going because this is going to get really, really good. If you want to be made holy, Paul goes on, if you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourself off from the anointed one and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. He is getting... He's getting in your face. He's like, let's take this to its conclusion if this is really what you're choosing. Because you're, you're, you're forgetting grace completely. All right? Next verse, he says, but the, but the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. So he turns a corner here. He says, yep, if it's all you being good, that's a real problem. However, Holy Spirit is here to convince us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. So when, if, ever, if ever you still have doubts and you're wondering, 
Well, do I believe? Ask Holy Spirit to help you. Holy Spirit, would you, would you convince me of what is true? See, God doesn't want you to be, wa- he doesn't want you to be wavering. He doesn't want you to be anxious and fearful and wondering. Um, yet he wants you actually settled in his love. He wants you settled right there and assured, assured of your place in Christ with the anointed one. So Paul says, when you're placed into the anointed one and joined to him, then circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you uh, nothing. Nothing. It adds nothing to you. Doesn't do a thing for you. Every time we think, if I just do this, God will be happier with me, you've just entered into the rules and regulations game. Which doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't mean God turns his back on you. Let's be really clear about all this. You are in Christ. You haven't gone anywhere. just means you forgot what Jesus actually came to do, which is to set you free from all of that. Okay? Galatians, now I'm jumping ahead just because of time. I can't do the whole verse, uh, chapter. I would love to. But verse 16, as you yield freely and fully. Now we're getting to the how. Okay, all right, Brent, how do we do this? As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. This is what will happen as you yield and abandon yourself to the Holy Spirit. It's going to get better. Than, this, is, this is an amazing sentence. It's about to get way better. I'm about to get really excited. If you, do, if you think I'm not excited yet. <laughs> By the way, that self-life is not, is not your sin nature. Let's make this really clear distinction. Because Paul says in many places, I'll just pick one of them, Colossians 2.11 says that your sin nature has already been cut out of you. He's like, oh, you want circumcision? Let's talk about the one according to Christ, which is that sin nature thing in you. It's already been cut away and discarded. So Paul cannot be talking about that. So, so what he's talking about is, is that I would just say, um, old remembrances of things that we once thought had some value that have nothing to do with who we are. How about that? I'm just giving that a, that's an off-the-cuff definition. But he's not saying that it's real. But he's saying, yeah, that's the struggle. Because we keep going back to something that we thought had some, some, some happiness in it that actually is absolutely 180 degrees opposite from who we really are. And we're going, to read, we're going to read those in a minute. He actually lists them. All right, now, he, but check this out. Here we go. Ta-da, drum roll, please. <laughs> Verse 17. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. What hinders the Holy Spirit from living free within you? Oh, these self-life cravings. But check this out. Okay, how do, what do we do about this? And, and no, it's not bolded. This is my bolding, not the, not the Bible, okay? But this is the one that jumped out at me. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. What? I were, I'm like, I got so excited about this. I nearly fall off my chair. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. 
Because you see, we keep turning this, no matter what, we keep turning it back into what, what do I have to do? Okay, I'll be better next time. I'll just, I'll say no to sin more. We're missing it, missing it, missing it, missing it. It's right here. The Holy Spirit's, his intense cravings in you will hinder your old, it'll push out your old self-life. Are you getting this? I'm just seeing this Holy Spirit bubble in you just expanding as you say, Holy Spirit, I want what you want. I want your intense cravings to be fulfilled in me. And the more we want that, it pushes the other stuff out. Isn't this amazing? This is actually the way it was always designed. Which is why when we keep going back to, I'll try harder next time for you, God. I'll never do that again. He's like, you're not getting it yet. It's my spirit in you. It's grace. It's all me. This right here is an exact picture of why Jesus said it gave him so much pleasure to do what the Father's doing. His pleasure was, was the Father's pleasure and vice versa. And he made us in his image and we're in his new creations. And so that's how we get our pleasure. Our pleasure is his pleasure. And the more we want his pleasure to be our pleasure, it is. And it pushes out the old stuff. It does. That's what exactly what this says. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the dominion of the law, but you will be soaring above it. And by the way, Jesus says, oh, you want a law? Okay, how about love? That was what Jesus said. You want a law? Okay, love. Love each other as I have loved you in that way. Love each other and you will fulfill all the law. You know what that's called? That's called soaring above the law. It just means, you, it, it, it just means see, whenever we go back to focusing on sin and how good am I, have I been good enough, am I better than so-and-so, um, which sins are in which order, whenever we do that, we, we, we're going back to the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what Jesus came to end, right? That's what that is. It's us deciding what's good, what's evil, how much good, how much evil. It's exhausting, and Jesus saved us from that so that we can eat from the tree of life, which is what? Intimacy, connection, in love, going back to our first love, Jesus. And, and there's no substitute for this. Like, I can't, I can't give that to you. Um, I, we actually have to choose to spend time in the Lord's presence, to want him, to ex- use our words to express, even when, even when we're not feeling it yet. I'm saying, keep going, keep going. In fact, I'm, I'm going to have a, in just a minute, I, I have a, a challenge for you, a seven-day challenge, okay? We're almost there. Because I'm telling you, this is, this is going to be a game changer for many of you. I really, I really believe this. So we're soaring above it. Let's go on. Here we go. Now, check this out. He says, he's going to start talking about this self-life. And you might be thinking, well, this is odd. He just showed us how this works. Why would he go back and, and tell us about what the old self-life looks like when we choose to go back to something that's, that's dead? Well, I'll tell you in a minute, but first I'm going to read this, but I'm going to read it in a way that's a little, um, let's see, what am I trying to say? It's, uh, I'm going to read it slow 
because I want us to actually think through this a little bit. This is not an exercise in shame at all, because I'm going to tell you where we're going with this. But here we go. Just, just read the list with me. I mean, not read it with me, but just one at a time. Sexual immorality. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. He says, these are obvious. You want to know these are obvious? Sexual immorality. Lustful thoughts. Pornography. Chasing after things instead of God. Manipulating others. Hatred of those who get in your way. Senseless arguments. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. Being envious of the blessings of others. Murder. Uncontrolled addictions. Wild parties. And all such similar behavior. In other words, dot, 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 etc., etc., etc. Now, Paul just uh, gave it everything he had to say, don't you dare go back to rule keeping because you'll miss the whole thing. He tells us what, what the whole key is. Let Holy Spirit's intense cravings have his way in you. And watch what happens. Why this list? I mean, that's a valid question, right? Because I'm telling you, Jesus did not die for us to give us like a slightly better modified list. I promise you that's not what Paul's doing. Why would he do this? Because he's outside of Jerusalem. I just told you most of the Jewish believers are in Jerusalem. He's out talking to the people in Galatia. And he's saying to these people who have all kinds of different things they're coming out of. He's like... All right, for you that don't have a clue, this should be obvious to you, but the more you get to know the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to know. Like, I don't think any one of us, I was going to actually do this. Does anybody, anybody find yourself in there anywhere, anyone at all? Or is it just me? Or is it, am I the only one? We're all on there somewhere. Um, see, this is, not about, this is not about shame. This is not about calling people out. It's not about who's in sin. That's not what Paul's doing here. But he is saying to those who have no clue, he's like, all right, let me tell you some things. Uh, These are some things which should be really obvious to you. But Paul doesn't, he doesn't park it here. And he doesn't say, so try really hard never to do these things. He's just giving a description. And then he goes on and he says, but, oh, wait a minute, but the fruit Produced by the Holy Spirit. He's giving them a very different visual here. The Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all of its varied expressions. So now he's saying, okay, this this is the obvious stuff that has nothing to do with you as a believer. Let me tell you what uh, the fruit that is you. This This is who you are. Joy that overflows. 
peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, and gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Strength of spirit. Now, I want to I hit that last one in this, because most of your Bibles will say self-control. There's a problem with that. The word self isn't in that word in the Greek. Hmm. It was, I, I'm not blaming any translators. I would not have the foggiest idea how you translate something of a language that, you know what I mean? Like, translators are brilliant. I'm just saying, when you start to look at those, um, the, the word self is not in that word. Actually, a best, the best translation would be lordship. This, this particular uh, author said strength of spirit. Which makes total sense. Here's the problem with self-control. Doesn't that put that loop right back on you again? Do you have enough self-control to say no to these things? When in actuality, it's about lordship. Who is your lord, and who who are you getting you know who are you getting intimate with and close with, so that his joy becomes your joy, so that everything his desires are your desires. That is what gives you the ability and the desire and the motive and the heart to say, I want what you want for me, and I don't want the things that are, that are destroying me. Um, so I want us to say this together. Uh, but uh, where it says uh, the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you, I want you to say within me, because you're going to declare this for yourself, okay? But the fruit... Produced by the Holy Spirit within me is divine love in all of its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, a faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. He says, keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, that's us in this room, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. Now he's reminding us that we have already died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. It's in many, many, many of Paul's letters. He's reminding us again, for everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. So may we never be arrogant or look down on another, for each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. Remember I said that uh, a little earlier, that, that unity is a byproduct of seeing the glory of God in each other. Can we look at any human being and say this person was made in the image of God? God, what do you see in that person? So I want to go back. I want to end our time in. Um, I want to end our time with this. Um, I want to go back to that that phrase, Holy Spirit. Let your I, I turned it into a prayer. Let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. And this is my this is my challenge for you because I. Um, 
I believe this, this is going to be a game changer. This is something I've been, since I, ever since I saw this verse, I have been over and over and over again just praying this prayer many times a day. So I would say at least in the morning, if not multiple times through your day, to pray this prayer for one week and you tell me what happens. I believe it's going to radically change some things. Unless you've already been doing this, in which case I say yay and hallelujah. Holy Spirit, say that with me. Holy Spirit, let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. Let's say it again. Holy Spirit, let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. And one more time. Holy Spirit, let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. And so I want us to take, we're going to take a little time right now. Ask Todd just to come up and, because I want, because this is not an intellectual inter- exercise. It, it, it might start that way. But really, truly, it's your spirit. It's your spirit that's alive to this right now. And I just want to encourage you. And if, if some of you have not been feeling like some of you still might be thinking, well, Holy Spirit, Father, I get, you know, sometimes Jesus, I think I get. Holy Spirit, not so sure. I want to encourage you if, you've, if there's a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit. If you've never read that, read that book. It will get you seeing Holy Spirit as a person. And the more that we acknowledge and fall in love with Holy Spirit, just like we do with Jesus and, and Father, it, things change. It changes us. And so I want to encourage the, first of all, if you, if you want to, as we're, as we're praying some, if you want to come up and kneel down on the altar or if you need some space, please come do that. At any time. But even now, just to begin talking to Holy Spirit. And, I, and I'm, I'm just going to say this. I hope this doesn't, I don't know, take you away from where I think God is taking us. But, but I want to say sometimes why I, I choose to try not to use pronouns. Uh, Holy Spirit in, in, the, in the Old Testament spirit is, is uh, feminine. And in the Greek, it's actually neuter. It's neither male nor female. Uh, but uh, in the Latin when it was translated, the Bible was translated in Latin, it, uh, that's where um, it was uh, actually male. So, so that's why I think through history there's just a lot of confusion. But we know actually from Scripture that God is neither male nor female. God is spirit. And that, um, and that but when he created us male and female, he created us in God's own image. In the image of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they created us. And so I'm saying that because a lot of the imagery for Holy Spirit is the nurturer, the comforter, the, what we would often think of as a mother. The, the Greek word is pneuma. The Hebrew is ruah. But when I think of pneuma, that sounds a whole lot like grandma to me. Um, in other words, and I'm not trying to make this a... a, a um, 
a gender thing. I'm saying, I think we've gotten hung up on language and somehow allow for us to allow Holy Spirit to show us. And this is where pronouns just don't work. Himself, herself. Holy Spirit, show us who you are. This is where I try not to use too many pronouns. Holy Spirit, show us who you are. Would you ask Holy Spirit to show you? Show me who you are, Holy Spirit. Show me really who you are. Jesus called you my comforter, my counselor. Show me, Holy Spirit. Show me. I need you. Just let Holy Spirit know I need you. I want you. And when I just saw what you can do to my old self-life, you can push it away. I say, Holy Spirit, let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. So just have your own personal dialogue for a moment. Because Holy Spirit's listening. Father's listening. Jesus is listening. You're never alone. Jesus, you were with your disciples for three intense, wonderful years. When you were leaving, they did not want you to go. And you said, it's better for you if I go. Because I'm sending the paraclete, the counselor, the, the ruah, the pneuma. I'm sending my spirit. This is good for you. And one of the last things he said to them is he said, I'm going to leave you now, but wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Wait. This is Jesus saying, wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, forgive us where, where, um, you know, we've at times just tried to go back to doing life on our own, which is even where that rules thing comes in. We start, we just go back to, well, I'll try to be really good then. Holy Spirit, we're sorry for any ways in which we've grieved your heart. Because you you've been given to us as the premier, most exquisite gift the Father could imagine. And you've been given to us. And so we, we honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. We honor you in this place. We honor you in our lives. We honor you in our hearts. We say that we need you. We need you. Now here's a really good, I'd call it dangerous, but good dangerous prayer that I encourage you to pray is, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. I give you permission brings <laughs> Numa <laughs> great joy <laughs> when you invite Holy Spirit when you say have your way have your way I trust you see trust isn't just for Father and Jesus trust is for Holy Spirit too I trust you Holy Spirit I trust you 
And some of you have been longing for certain gifts of the Spirit, whether that's healing or prophecy or tongues or whichever. And you've, and you've felt some disappointment because you haven't really seen it yet the way that you want. And I would encourage you to look past those gifts and to look to the giver and fall in love with the giver, Holy Spirit, the dispenser, the joyful giver of gifts. Fall in love. Fall in love with Holy Spirit and all the gifts are yours. (laughs) That's the way it works. That's the way it is. This is why Jesus had such access to the Father's kingdom. He was in love with the Father. He wanted his life to be a reflection of the Father's joy. Father, what pleases you pleases me. And Jesus was fully yielded to Holy Spirit who came upon him at his baptism. Everything it says in the book of Luke, especially, you'll see over and over again, Luke starts sentences, and in the Spirit, and in the Spirit, Jesus did this, and in the Spirit, Jesus was led into the wilderness, and in the Spirit, he healed. Everything, everything was, was connected with the Father's joy and pleasure, which became his own, and yielded, completely yielded to Holy Spirit. Tell him again, Holy Spirit, let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. I want to know you. I want to love you more. Make yourself real to me. These are the prayers I've prayed over and over and over through the years. Don't get discouraged if you don't, if all the prayers, you will have breakthroughs at times, for sure. And... God has you on a, on a journey. And, and God hears every prayer you pray. And he answers every prayer you pray. You just don't always see it in the immediate. But it's coming. It's coming. I want to make I want to encourage you Holy Spirit help us. By the way, Holy Spirit help is a great prayer. I encourage you to pray this often. Whatever it is you need, Holy Spirit help. Holy Spirit help. And so Holy Spirit help us. Help us not to be focusing on sin and on trying to avoid uh, in our own power things that that are destructive. But instead, what we just read, would you keep bringing us back to intimacy with you so that we can say, Holy Spirit, help us to see ourselves the way you see. Would you make that a prayer? Holy Holy Spirit, help me to see myself the way you see me. Help me to see myself the way my Papa sees me the way my Jesus sees me. 
Because I'm telling you, if we go back to the rules and regulations, we will keep disqualifying ourselves. We will not go after the dreams. We will think we have no right to be Jesus to people, to, to share Jesus with people. But the reality is the glory of God is already in you. The glory of God is in you. I want, can you see that, God? Your glory is in me. Your glory's in me. God's mind is made up about you. <laughs> he said, you're my choice. That's it. You're my choice. And I chose for Jesus to take away all the fullness of the curse of the law. It's gone. It is gone. And I've chosen Jesus by his sacrifice to completely remove your sin nature. It's gone. Now it's our turn to believe. To say, yes, Lord, it is gone. Yes, Lord, that's not who I am. Yes, Lord, tell me again, who do you say that I am? That's the Lordship part. Lord, who do you say that I am? My joy is to fulfill your joy. I want my joy to be your joy. Your joy to be my joy. So I just want to, I'm going to let, I, I want the Lord to speak to you a little bit. So let's just, let's just be quiet for a little bit. And, and anything, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, anything you want to do, anything you want to say to show us, we give you permission, permission granted. Father, what's on your heart? What's on your heart, Father? What is your heart beating for?
I, I feel and hear the Father's heart just beckoning you. Beckoning you. Come spend time with me. Let's walk together. Nothing separates us. Nothing. Nothing. And I couldn't be any closer to you. My spirit in you. Christ in you. Christ in you. Sometimes even just this space of quiet, we just, in this culture, you know, everything is filled. Every space is filled with something. Lots and lots of chatter and noise and electronics and everything. And there's still going to be no substitute of getting away to be with Jesus, getting away to be with the Father, getting away to be with Holy Spirit. He's beckoning us. He's beckoning us. This is what transforms us, is his presence. Being in the presence of the Lord. He says, be still and know that I am God. Father, that what you've been doing in our hearts, even tonight, the, the seeds of truth, the seeds of hope that you've planted in our hearts, would you cause those to grow and grow and grow? Would you cause us, Holy Spirit, help us to fall in love. Help us to fall in love. Help our hearts to be soft again and fall in love deeper and deeper with you because there's a whole world that needs your love. When we fall in love with you, that it becomes, I was going to say second nature, but first nature. We just do it. When we fall in love, it's easy to love. And earlier I, I put up there that scripture of the how the self-life, what it looks like, how obvious those things look like. And I want to tell you, that is that list that Paul made, that is not the big deal. 
And when we go out and talk to people in the world, we, we don't make that the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. Holy Spirit's the big deal. And we can't expect people that don't know him to have those things crowded out of their life. We need, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. So thank you, Holy Spirit. And there's some, I believe the Lord's showing me, there's, there's some of you still that have really, really still uh, struggling with, with shame, condemnation. And I, wa- I want to remind you what Paul said in Romans 8, 1, where he said, after he said that it's, that it's finished, that Jesus is taking care of us, who will rescue us from this, this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. It's already done. And therefore, he says, there is now no condemnation ever again for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 8, he starts talking about life in the Spirit. So I release you. I actually have the authority. Jesus has given all of us this authority. But I have the authority to say to you, your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are washed. And now you get to go be who you are, who God created you to be. No condemnation. That's just some exceptionally good words, good news right there. It really is. So did you know that you can do that for people too? As weird as that sounds, you might be thinking, wait, only Jesus can do that or maybe the priest, right, can absolve people of sins. I am telling you, we are all kings and priests before the Lord. Hello. Which means that's this part of the good news when people are in a terrible place you can actually go up to them and say, I have some great news for you. Jesus forgives you. You want to watch what that will do for some people? Who am I to say that? Oh, you are Christ in you and you carry the glory of God. That's who you are. Do you see how your encounters are going to start changing (laughs) once you believe who you are? Because you start to have a different authority. Everybody, this is what I've discovered. Everybody's looking for permission. We all want to do things to change the world around us, but for some reason, we're all kind of looking for permission. Is it okay? I want to tell you, you are all full-time missionaries and full-time ministers of the gospel because Jesus only has disciples. He doesn't have disciples and others. (laughs) You're his disciples. You're his disciples. Everything he did, you get to do. Except for die for sins because he already took care of that one for you. We'll, We'll check that one off. Isn't that good news? I just love it. Very sweet, Todd. I knew, I knew this was going to be a more somber, sweet night. I just felt it in my spirit. But I want to tell you, don't underestimate the somber sweetness of the Lord. Like, we don't have to be screaming just for it to be powerful. I don't mind that also, you know, when God's doing, God's in, we're doing a fire tunnel. I love all that stuff. But I'm saying this is super powerful. And actually, this is supernatural. Supernatural is not just miracles, healings. How on earth do you think you can change you? (laughs) You can't. This is supernatural. Holy Spirit in you, Jesus in you is very supernatural. He's changing you. 
keep giving him permission. That go back to there's your this is your uh, what did I say it was your assignment. That's what it was. I don't want to give you homework because that's not work. It's not work. This is home fun. Okay, this is your assignment. I'm I ch- I, I challenge you <laughs> for seven days at least once a day, if not many times a day, to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, let's say it one more time together. Holy Spirit, let your intense cravings be fulfilled in me. That's just a really good idea right there. Yeah. I'm just betting that you'll see that in the newsletter this week too. (laughs) I'm just feeling the sweetness. Earlier tonight... um, just looking around. But anyway, earlier tonight, er, earlier today, when I was sitting with the Lord, I had all this on my laptop and I said, I said, Holy Spirit, what would you like to do tonight? Because I don't have to do any of this. And I felt the extreme pleasure of, of the Lord to talk about this. He's like, you have no idea how happy this makes me that you're talking about this. See, this is the joy of the Father. He's already paid for everything. He's like, man, I want my kids to enjoy this. Because we're making it way too hard, and it's all the key is right in front of us. All right, so I bless you on this journey, and um, Lord, is there anything else you'd like to do? I want to also just honor those of you that need to go. Um, I'm, I'm feeling. Can I just tell you, I'm feeling like intense love for each one of you right now. I really am. It's like the Father's love. I'm looking at each one of your faces. So again, Lord, help us to see the glory, your glory in each person we meet. Not just every believer, but every person. Yeah. So good. I don't know. Are there prayer teams? Do you want to come up and just pray if people want prayer? I think it'd probably be a good thing. This is called a soft landing. (laughs) Very soft, gentle. Holy Spirit does that. Holy Spirit's very gentle most of the time. (laughs) So good. I'll um, I'll be up here too. And uh, so I'm happy to pray for people. And so if you want to just sit and pray more, that'd be great. If you want to come up, that's great. Like I said, this is our soft landing. So thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen.